which is beautiful, will manifest itself in truth and in goodness. Local. The challenges that we're facing in our generation, we just need the gospel. I mean, every every culture, every generation just needs to know how the gospel applies. Engaging. We don't bring any life at all to the church. The church is, is the life. It gives us the life. Live. The reality is, He is all things beautiful, capital B. And so anything that is authentically beautiful draws us, even if we don't realize it, to God. Welcome to Real Presence Live, Duluth edition. I'm Father Richard Kunz, along with Cindy Jennings. We're coming to you from the beautiful Diocese of Duluth on the shores of Lake Superior for another edition of Real Presence Live. Let's start with a prayer in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you to be with us in a particular way this morning. We pray that you are with our guests, but most of all with our listeners, that they may truly be open to God's Word and God's will in everything that we say and do during this radio program and throughout their day. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Cindy, good morning. Good morning. It's been a while. It has. And lots happened since we've been A lot has happened. It's, so, it's, I mean, we haven't done this for a couple months. I no. feel a little rusty right now. I do too. But I think we're going to be fabulous. I think we'll be fine. So, I want to get right into, we can catch up during other times of the show, I want to get right into our guest. So, we have Father Ralph Wyman on uh, the line. Father Ralph, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Welcome to Real Presence Live. Father, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself first? Yeah, I'm Father Ralph Wyman. I was ordained a priest in 2007. I hold a doctorate in theology and wrote a dissertation with the title Dogma and Progress in the Work of Joseph Ratzinger. In addition, I completed a doctorate in bioethics on the topic of the diagnosis of human embryonic pre-implantation. And I'm also a member of the Ratzinger Schiller Kreis, a select group of young scholars related to the theology of Pope. Benedict the Sixteenth. I teach theology and bioethics at the Pontifical University of St. Thomas Aquinas in Rome. Today I'm grateful to be speaking to you on the Real Presence Radio about a very important topic which I have covered in a book published last year with Angelical Press called Bioethical Challenges at the End of Life. So so Father Ralph, are you are you in Rome right now? Are you in Rome right now, Father? Hmm, I don't know if he can hear us. <clears throat> a bit of a connection problem. Yeah, Father Ralph, if you're Vyman, if you're still with us, please um, uh, let me know. Yes, I'm still with you. Okay, great. Are you in Rome right? Are you in Rome right now? Yes, I'm in Rome. Wow, great. I wish I was there. Place. It is my favorite place. So, um, uh, um, uh, it's good to have you in real presence, uh, Father. Why don't you tell us a little bit more in detail for the listeners in regards to what you mean by the ethical guide, end of life or ethical guide? You know, I mean, I think a lot of people deal with this in their lives a few times. You know, questions about um, uh, you know what they should do with grandma or grandpa. Maybe you can speak a little bit more in specific detail about. It, what the end-of-life issues are from a Catholic perspective, just on a very general level. There are many, many challenges right now at the end of life. For example, first of all, what is euthanasia, for example? There are so many different attempts to reinstate euthanasia right now, to end your life whenever you want. There's suicide and assist suicide, 
there are, as you just mentioned, ordinary and extraordinary means at the end of life. So what type of cure is still necessary if someone is 90 years old? What must be done? What shouldn't be done? Then there is the whole question concerning brain death and organ donation. And also cremation, is that an option for Catholics or better burial and other things? So all this is what I do cover in my book called Bioethical Challenges at the End of Life. So what would, maybe explain what extraordinary means, means, because that's, that's like a, when I get a phone call from prisoners in regards to, you know, the end of life issues, I think one of the, one of the phrases that is used quite a bit is extraordinary means. And what, can you define what extraordinary means in the context of end of life issues? So first of all, there are ordinary means. Ordinary means is that you have to provide food and the basic care. The extraordinary means are means that are extra. So it's a medical treatment, it's medication, it's um, different um, methods you may use. And there's a strict distinction between both. Ordinary means are always necessary to be provided. Extraordinary, not necessarily. It really depends on the circumstances. Let me ask you a specific question about that in regards to dialysis. Would dialysis, because some people need, obviously, dialysis to stay alive. They need to do it on a regular basis, which takes hours and hours. And would, would dialysis be considered ordinary means or extraordinary means, or does it just depend on the context? Because he is already... Um, sorry, perhaps you didn't get what, what I was saying at the beginning. So the connection here in Rome is not very good. However... It depends on the context. If you have a person who is already in the process of dying, then it does not need to be applied. However, if the person is in different circumstances, for example, 25 years old or so, then of course it should be used and it should be made use of it. Okay. So, I mean, one of the things that I, that I hear about from time to time, I haven't seen it a lot lately in my own ministry, is that the idea of somebody, maybe they're not in the process of dying, but they're quite elderly, they're tired of doing it for a long time, that becomes a little bit more gray, doesn't it? Or does it not? Um, it does not, if you apply certain criteria. For that reason, I called my book, Bioethical Challenges at the End of Life, an ethical guide in Catholic perspective. Because the Church offers reliable principles that must be applied in these circumstances. So the circumstances are important, but they're not the only criteria. So there's also the object as such and the, um, the goal of everything. So if someone is, the, once again, the process of dying, then how would he need to prepare still or to use still all different means that would be necessary in this case. So you have to take into consideration always these three different criteria. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's very good information. Very interesting. One of the um, uh, phrases that was used a lot, I know that you're uh, very interested in the theology of, of uh, um, uh, 
Pope Benedict and uh, Cardinal Ratzinger, but I think it's John Paul II that maybe coined the phrase culture of death. I could be wrong on that, but I think it's him. Could you speak a little bit about what we mean by a culture of death? Maybe this should have been a question asked at the beginning of the interview, but it's one of those phrases I don't think we use as much anymore as we used to, say, 10, 15 years ago, but I think it's still very much in play. Could you speak to what that culture of death means? Yeah, indeed, it comes from Pope John Paul II. In 1995, he published an important encyclical letter which bears the title, The Gospel of Life. And according to Pope John Paul II, the dominating culture is strongly inclined to death and sometimes even opposed to life. Throughout history, there were many cultures of death. It might be enough to remember the reign of communism in the Soviet Union. But even today, according to Pope John Paul II, this, or there are such tendencies, and they are increasing continuously concerning the beginning and the end of life. And Pope John Paul II mentioned abortion, for example, as an unspeakable crime in this context, but also euthanasia. And, and it seems to me, from my, I mean, I don't follow it probably nearly as close as you do, it seems to me that euthanasia is actually getting more and more broadly accepted. In fact, I think they're even using different terminology. I just read just recently some sort of a phrase like um, medical-assisted death or something like that. They're getting away from assisted suicide and the term euthanasia. But from your observation in following this issue, this important issue closely, you see a more of a, a, an acceptance of euthanasia, say in particular like in Europe, Western Europe? Yes, indeed. It is It is increasing in the attempts to push euthanasia further on. But what's the meaning of euthanasia? The word euthanasia originates from the Greek and means usually a good death. So from the beginning it had a certain meaning, it's a good way of dying. However, the understanding of euthanasia has changed over the course of history. Yeah, and especially in the modern time, the understanding of euthanasia has totally changed. And it is now as a type of, I decide about my life, and uh, it is me taking the decision. For that reason, the Catholic Church, and especially the Catechism of the Catholic Church, states that direct euthanasia consists in putting an end to the lives of handicapped, sick, or dying persons, and it says that intentional euthanasia, whatever its form or motives, is murder. So it's a very clear statement. It's a very clear ethical decision, which the church has here affirmed. The person takes whenever someone undergoes euthanasia. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, I mean, it, for, I don't know about you, Father. I've been a priest a little bit longer than you, but I. It seems to me that from the beginning years of my priesthood to today, that the whole concept of culture of life, which was you know prevalent in my early days of uh, priesthood, is that I feel like I mean we we can't we're not losing we're not fighting a losing battle because God always wins, right? But it but it, it seems like that the culture of death, even though we don't use that phrase as much as we maybe should, as we did in the past, it seems like. The culture of death is like getting stronger and stronger, it seems. What's your observation of that? I would agree. It seems that darkness is spreading. And you can see this clearly in the increase or growth of the culture of death. And the culture of death is also opposed to God. Since God and only God is life and the giver of life. So any culture of death 
becomes always increasingly acceptable in our society and this leads to what you just described. Your observation is correct. So the culture of death is spreading and is growing. And we have to fight hard to bring back the culture of life which is related to God. And, and it all goes back to the dignity of the human person, doesn't it, Father? Yes, it does. The Can dignity of the human person is a, is a crucial concept. Because, you know, I mean, it was, I'm uh, trying to think, it was Mother Teresa, I can't remember the exact quote, but, the, I mean, what we see, I don't know how much you've been in the United States or not, but in the United States, it's the abortion issue become front and center. I know we're talking about the end-of-life issues, but when it comes to the concept of the dignity of the human person, it all starts with abortion. If we're, if we're willing to just, like, dispose of human life and the dignity of that unborn person, then it's isn't it kind of like a it's like a domino effect, isn't it? It's going to affect every other aspect of the culture of death, inclu- including the end of life issues. Yes, whenever the beginning of life is questioned, so whenever you allow, for example, abortion at the beginning of life, you will automatically also allow, let's say, euthanasia, direct euthanasia, and what at the end of death. So. Both things are connected to human life, and whenever one option is given, the other will follow immediately. Well, and it affects crime, too. You know, I mean, it's like people, if people don't have any uh, real value in human life, then anything goes. And so it all starts there, and then it, then it is that down. Maybe, you know, because somebody will say very quickly before we take our break, Father, you know, I don't hear it often, but some people that are maybe unchurched will say, well, we can put our dog down. Why can't we put you know, grandma down, if there's no, you know, I mean, if she's at the very end of her life and she's suffering, that dignity of the human person, maybe you can speak the difference between the human and the animal. The human dignity is different because of the type of soul given to humans. So animals do have a sensitive soul. They can feel things, but only humans have rational soul and therefore they have an indwelling, an inscribed dignity. It's the image of God that is reflected in the human person. And that constitutes the human dignity. Amen. Amen. Uh, we're talking to Father Ralph Weiman, uh, Bioethical Challenges at the End of Life, an Ethical Guide in Catholic Perspective. And uh, we will continue this conversation after this brief break. Please stay with us. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. If you just follow the, the guidelines you've For centuries, healthcare has been central to the healing ministry of the church. Today's technologies offer exciting possibilities, but also serious moral questions. More than ever, we need healthcare leaders who serve with integrity and conviction. The University of Mary answers the call to prepare leaders anchored in moral courage and a breathtaking range of programs from bioethics to nursing. Visit catholicprofessional.life. How do you know when someone may be contemplating suicide? I'm Father Chris Alar. 
This person will often exhibit certain warning signs, indicators such as their talk, like killing themselves or having no purpose in life, their behavior, like drug abuse, withdrawal from others, or abnormal sleep patterns, or their mood, like being depressed or having anxiety, can all be warning signs. So mental health professionals are now encouraging you to engage in dialogue with those who appear to be at risk. By talking openly about suicide, asking if they are okay, okay and listening to their feelings, you may save their life. To find out more, please visit suicideandhope.com so I can personally pray for anyone you've lost and to get our book, After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You, which helps with any kind of suffering or loss, not just suicide. I promise it will help. Searching for more great Catholic content? Visit our website at realpresenceradio.com. Find Catholic news you can trust, information about events coming up in the local area, and the latest on what's happening at the RPR Network. And don't forget that you can listen to any of our stations around the clock from anywhere in the world. Need prayers for someone or something in your life? You can submit those through our online form for the entire family to pray for. Real Presence Radio, your family of faith and hope. Online at realpresenceradio.com. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. Father Richard Kunst here along with Cindy Jennings, and we've been talking to Father Rolf Rolf Weiman, who is in my favorite city in the world right now. He's in the city of Rome. I'm somewhat envious of him. Father Rolf, Cindy's got a question here for you. Yeah, we're talking about all this, so I think the next question would be, how do we best provide care for the dying? And I guess, how can we console those dealings with the loss of a loved one? Okay, in the history of the church, there was the so-called asmoriendi, which included a special accompaniment during the hour of death. So the art of dying was of great importance and still is, as described in Christian literature. So the dying should never be left alone. They need to be accompanied, not only based on, let's say, your human presence, but with prayers and leading them to God. So certain prayers above all the sacraments and other actions that would lead to a good death and therefore to salvation characterize the Catholic understanding of how to provide care for the dying. A dying accompanied by the family, by prayer, and strengthened by the anointing of the sick and the so-called viaticum, the Holy Communion, is what usually should be practiced. It should be part of everyday life to pray that one would be prevented from a sudden death in order to enter well-prepared into eternal life. This ideal of a good death excludes the idea of self-killing or suicide, especially as people are aware of their responsibility that this decision, this very last decision at the end of life, will have an impact on heaven, hell, or purgatory. So the Christian way to die should be rediscovered. It is a preparation for a good death, which is considered a door that leads to eternal life and that should fill us with hope and joy. Yeah, Father, that, that's excellent. You know, I, I do think that we've lost that, you know, I mean, <clears throat> in the Renaissance period of time, like 
you know, Robert Bellamine wrote a book called The Art of Dying Well. I think that was the title of it. There was a, several books out there about that concept, about being extraordinarily well prepared at the hour of death and being followed, having that be part of the prayer and just being that super important. And then if, in your point that I really like, it's like, if we really get back to that focus about the art of dying well, then the idea of suicide and euthanasia should automatically go out the window. Yeah, you're, that's true, because whenever you trust in God, then you have hope. You know that life will not end at this very moment, but it will be a passing towards the real life, the eternal life, the life in God. And so for that reason, it makes a tremendous difference whether you believe in God or you do not. And, the, and then the value of human suffering. Maybe you can speak, especially in how it relates to end-of-life issues, the value of human suffering is something that in the Western culture, it's like, that is, of course, the idea of value of human suffering is foreign. You know, it seems bizarre, but it plays in very well with this idea of the last hours of our life, doesn't it? It does. It was about... We lost your father, Ralph. Are you there? And oh, there. this oh. is of great importance because you... Yeah, we're having a we're little bit. Of, yep, we're a little bit in and out. But I mean, if I, I'm, I'm going to guess what Father. Go ahead, Father Ralph. Are you still there? Oh, I'm. I'm back. Perhaps I don't know what's happening here. Could you? But I mean, it seems. Yeah, we missed. Yeah. We missed your. At least I did. Missed the answer about the idea of the suffering. If you could just repeat your answer to my last question. Okay, I will. It was above all Pope John Paul II who not only through his personal life gave us a great example of how to support and and how to um, accept suffering, but he wrote also an encyclical letter explaining the meaning of suffering from a Christian perspective. And whenever you are united with Jesus Christ, when you understand that he suffered on the cross, when you understand what he has done, that he has saved us through his suffering, then the Christian who unites himself in his suffering with Jesus Christ finds a deep sense and meaning in his suffering. You may read St. Paul, for example, he explains how much he suffered for the sake of Christ, or even so many other saints. Suffering has a special meaning whenever it is not uselessly accepted, but when you unite yourself with Jesus Christ, and that makes a big difference. Yeah, and I would say I have complete like experience in this situation. Um, my husband died of cancer, so watching him go from like just actually a wonderful, amazing Catholic father to all this going through all this suffering, and then um, watching him come out of that even better than he was before was actually amazing. I I never thought suffering would be that amazing does that make sense <laughs> and, and just watching him until the end like he just went peacefully and um exactly like you said it, if he didn't have that i don't think i would have had such a great time getting over it you know i i think that's part of the people that are around you too that helps you in that healing yeah on, on one side i'm i'm sorry for that on the other side what you just expressed is what we as Christians are supposed to live. 
So we should always live with hope and confidence in God. And that makes a big difference. Because we know that death is only a door through which we enter into the eternal life. And the most important thing is to be well prepared. So all the issues related to the end of life have to be related to God. And if they're not, then of course, the outcome will be totally different. And that's what you can see today. And also for that reason, the culture of death is spreading. You know, to go back to a quote from Bellarmine, because I, you know, I really appreciated some of his work. St. Robert Bellarmine said, in order to die well, we first have to live well. And, and, you know, I mean, it kind of brings me back to the prayer that Catholics pray all the time, the Hail Mary, right? We, we ask in the prayer that she, you know, pray for us at the hour of our death. And so it's really ingrained in Catholic piety, if you will, this concept of um, being prepared to die well. Yes, indeed. It's not only the whole Mary, there are so many other prayers, but the Hail Mary is a very important prayer. And um, it marks a difference because you know you're not alone. And that, once again, that death is just a pass into right. eternal life. Let, let me, let's, sum up, let's bring back one of the topics that I think that you um, maybe touch on in your book, maybe, or I haven't read your book, but the, um, uh, the whole area around organ transplantation. Uh, uh, um, any, uh, do you want to speak a little bit about that, why that might be a, um, a touchy subject? It is a touchy subject, as you just called it, <laughs> and it is quite complicated. But I try to make a long story short. Organ transplantation is inseparably connected to the definition of death. This becomes evident, especially when referring to, as I just said, organ donation ex cadavere. From an ethical point of view, it is clear that organs can be extracted only from dead persons, ex cadavere. Otherwise, it would be murder. For that reason, the definition of death is crucial. And the question must be raised, when is the human person dead? What kind of indications do we have? In 1968, the ad hoc committee of the Harvard Medical School defined brain death as the new criterion. And they called it in the first step an irreversible coma. And then they established certain criteria. However, there are some critical analysis from also Christian perspective, they put into doubt these criteria. And it was Pope Benedict XVI who presented a similar view, affirming that organs can be extracted only ex cadavere. He states that the scientific community has to provide certainty and that in such a delicate area, there cannot be the slightest suspicion of arbitration. And for that reason, we have to find the right criteria. And organ translation, uh, transplantation sorry, is a very delicate topic because it's related to the definition of death. And the definition of death, as defined by the Harvard Ad Hoc Committee, is still discussed and not accepted by the whole scientific community. <clears throat> Father, um, what, where can... First off, the first question, is your, is your book... In English? 
Father? All right. We're, yes. These international. Oh, go ahead, Father. Are you there? Yes. Um, the book is in English, and it was okay. published with Angelico Press, called "Bioethical Challenges at the End of Life: An Ethical Guide in Catholic Perspective." And where can people get this book? On Amazon, if you want to order it, or also if you want to contact directly the the, the editor, there shouldn't be a problem. It's 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 a it's a topic that eventually hits every faithful Catholic family because everybody dies. And so we all, with modern, uh, with modern medicine, of course, we, we, this is going to happen more and more. And so this is an important topic for people to be up on in regard. And lots of times, I, I mean, sadly speaking, as, as a pastor, even priests, we are sometimes not adequately prepared for some of these questions. And so, Father Ralph, is there any last, um, uh, we got about a minute, minute and a half, any last thoughts that you want to add for the for the uh, audience yeah there is one last thought c.s lewis had once said there are only two kinds of people in the end those who say to god thy will be done and those to whom god says in the end thy will be done even though in times of relativism there's a fundamental difference between someone who believes in God and someone who does not. And we have to turn back to the source of true and everlasting life, that is God. And Amen. this perspective enables us to have true um, confidence in God and hope. Thank Father Father Rolf Weiman, thank you very much. The book is Bio, Bioethical Challenges at the End of Life, an Ethical Guide to Catholic Perspective. Get that book. It sounds like a very good book. Father Rolf, thank you very much for joining us all the way from the Eternal City. Have a glass of wine for me. <laughs> yes, God bless you. Bye. All right, God bless. All right, well, that was excellent. So uh, after this break, we will go right into straight talk. Prepare your questions that can be on any topic under the sun that I might have an opinion on or an answer to right after this break. Live, engaging, and local, this is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network. Daily Meditations of Pope Benedict XVI, presented by Leonardo Di Filippis of St. Luke Productions. Creatures that can be one with Christ. In the New Testament, Christ is referred to as the second Adam, as the definitive Adam, and as the image of God. This means that in him alone appears the complete answer to the question about what the human being is. Creation is, as it were, a preliminary sketch that points to him. This relationship of creature to Christ, of the first to the second Adam, signifies that human persons are beings en route, beings characterized by transition. They are not yet themselves. They must ultimately become themselves. Human beings must die with Christ like a grain of wheat in order truly to rise, to stand erect, to be themselves. Human persons are not to be understood merely from the perspective of their past histories or from that isolated moment that we refer to as the present. They are oriented toward their future and only it permits who they really are to appear completely. 
we must always see in other human beings persons with whom we shall one day share God's joy. We must look upon them as persons who are called together with us to be members of the body of Christ with whom we shall one day sit at table with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and with Christ himself as their brothers and sisters, as the brothers and sisters of Christ, and as the children of God. This meditation is taken from Benedictus, published by Ignatius Press and Magnificat, and produced by St. Luke Productions. Learn more at stlukeproductions.com.